0: All right, let, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we ask your blessing on our efforts again today, as we should always when we start to study Scripture. Help us then to open our minds and our hearts. May your Holy Spirit inspire us to really accept the understanding that comes not only from Scripture, but from tradition, and from the magisterium of the church. So we ask your blessing on our efforts. We Give you praise and thanksgiving in all things, in Jesus' name. Which is sort of the everyday life of the Holy Family, if you can call that everyday. <coughs> I'd like to review a little bit uh, on the subject of Immaculate Conception. I've got two points that I, I would like to make. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. I hope you all got a copy of this. Oh, gee, I sound like I'm from the South, y'all. <laughs> got a copy of this uh, handout here. Actually, I had this last week and was going to uh, hand it out, and then one thing led to another, and I forgot. Right. But I'd like to go through it, because I think... I, let me go through this and point out a few things that we didn't uh, get around to talking about last week. The concept of the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Mary is based on the fact that God and sinful mankind are incompatible. We've learned that from many lessons and many are subjects that we've talked about in the past. That's the whole idea for the expulsion of Adam and Eve uh, from the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was sort of a metaphor for heaven, where everything was perfect and everything uh, that mankind could need or would need was provided for. But once they sinned, They had to be, Adam and Eve had to be expelled. Now that's all an allegory, but it represents a true idea and a concept of mankind in general. Sure. That God and uh, sinful mankind are incompatible, and that is, God and sinful mankind cannot live together because of divine purity And sin cannot coexist in the same body, divine or human. From this we see that when God, in his plan of salvation, it was time to bring forth the Savior of the world, Jesus, God had to have a perfectly pure vehicle to bear his son for the normal period of pregnancy. And again, because Jesus, the divine son of God, could not be conceived and carried in the body uh, of a woman for nine months, regardless of how minor her sins might have been. And therefore God, in an extreme case of intervention, decreed that from the very beginning of creation, not just her conception, but all the way back to even before creation, the mother of his son would be exempt from the stain of original sin and remain sinless thereafter. She was, therefore, to be exempt from the consequences of the sin of Adam and Eve from her conception within the womb of her mother, St. Elizabeth. I'm sorry. It should have been St. Anne. You're right. We talked about that last week. And I still didn't get it. You know. Uh, this was part of God's plan. From the beginning. Of creation. Signified by the prophecy of God. To the serpent. In the garden of Eden. In other words. The whole idea of the. Conception of Mary. You know. Hundreds of years later. Was referred to in the conversation that God had with that serpent at the time of Adam and Eve saying I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers it was there part of God's plan from the beginning and not something thought up at the time of Mary's conception and from the uh catholic encyclopedia we read in this sense the privilege of the immaculate conception was the anticipated fruit of god's first saving passion death and re- resurrection it was fitting that she who was to bear the savior of the world should herself be preserved from sin and its consequences, and thus be the first to benefit from what he would win for the whole human race at a later date. On December the 8th, 1854, Pope Pius IX defined and published the Dogma of the Immaculate Conception, which is celebrated on that date each year thereafter. Now, somebody asked me this morning, well, why did the church wait so late until 1854? The church really accepted and promoted this concept years, years before. In fact, from the early days of the church, it did not become necessary to declare it a dogma until it arose in the, after the Protestant Reformation as an issue where the Protestants rejected the whole idea of the Immaculate Conception, and therefore, as part of the Counter-Reformation, it was declared a dogma in 1854. And that's true with most of the dogmas of the Church. They were accepted facts and traditions long before they were made dogmas, but it wasn't until a problem arose where there had to be a definitive uh, proclamation. Going further, the Catholic Church has always decreed that Mary remained free of all sin, and thus, by virtue of this, the Church also decreed that Mary had no other children for the same reason, that she who was, by the grace of God, conceived in perfect justice that is, free of sin could not carry for nine months children who were conceived in the natural order under the consequences of the sin of Adam and Eve and lastly, because of Mary's perfect sinlessness she was exempt from the corruption of the human body, one of the consequences of original sin this is the basis for the church declaring that Mary was assumed into heaven in body and soul. And this truth was declared a dogma of the church by Pope Pius XII on November 1, 1950. The Feast of the Assumption of Mary is celebrated on August fifteenth of each year. It is therefore uh, for all of the above reasons, that Catholics honor the Blessed Virgin Mary as the fairest and holiest woman of all time, because it was through her that the Savior of the world was born. Yes, Joe. <coughs> He did, he did believe. In fact, in the video that we saw last night, or last week, it mentioned that he did believe, but many of his followers who sort of took over and expanded, uh, on his original problems and troubles with the church, uh, were the ones who broke away because of this being one of the items among many. Yeah. That's true. Uh, Martin Luther was a Catholic priest who broke away uh, primarily because of the problem of indulgences that were really overdone by the church. And he probably had good reason for it. And in the long run, he might be declared uh, uh, a saint for many reasons. But uh, unfortunately, He did marry, even though he was... uh, He had taken a vow of celibacy, and so forth, and so um, that became another issue. Any questions on this subject here? Now, in conjunction with this same concept of the Immaculate Conception, last week... uh, Dick asked a question about was Mary uh, did Mary's free will be taken away from her uh, and that bothered me all week long so I had I had to do some more research you know surprising what questions will bother me or bug me until I do some research and I found that the church does have uh A doctrine, not a dogma, but a doctrine uh, of predestination. Frankly, I always thought the church was totally against predestination. And in one sense it is. But let me explain. For people such as Mary, and there were a few others, such as John the Baptist, who from before they were conceived were set apart, for special roles in God's plan of salvation. And they were exempt, as Mary was, uh, from the consequences of sin. Why would God uh, not want them to be taken immediately into heaven upon their death? Now, Mary was assumed, because Mary did not die in the natural order Mary was assumed into heaven, body, and soul. John the Baptist, of course, as we know, was beheaded. But the whole idea is not so much the importance of the body, but the importance of the soul. Why would they not be actually predestined, you might say, to go to heaven immediately? The idea of predestination is that everyone who was predestined, truly predestined by God, and there were very few that we can think of, and I couldn't find any records of any names other than Mary, uh, were always for the benefit and the divine good of the individual. Predestination for people who uh were predestined to go to hell or th- is totally foreign to any of beliefs in the church. And therefore the church does not believe and does not promote the idea of predestination for anyone other than a few very special people, and that was they were predestined to go directly to heaven. No, I don't I don't see that. No, I don't see that at all. It was something that, you know, apparently Judas was part of God's group, you know, closest followers, appointed followers, the apostles, for three years. And up until a point in time, he was probably a good man. Although, uh, Scripture does say he was a thief, and, you know, uh, pilfered a little bit of the, the money uh, but outside of that uh, there was nothing that would cause him to have be put into hell you might say except the fact of what he did at the end totally betrayed Christ and became the instrument just it's yes it, it, that's that's true in itself yeah yeah and he could have the, the, his no his major problem was total despair where he could not accept even forgiveness which then caused him to commit suicide yeah yes No. the cause of them crucifying no, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, Susan says that Judas Act was not the cause of Christ's crucifixion and it was not necessary. It would have happened one way or the other. The whole idea is that Christ came to earth to sacrifice himself for the benefit of all mankind. In other words, he became human to be one of us. God's gift to mankind, because mankind otherwise did not have anything that was sufficient to take away the sins of all mankind. So God himself had to come and be that sacrifice. Does that make sense? Uh, And the fact that predestination was is not acceptable and is not permitted or taught by the church except for a few people and it was always to the good that they would be predestined to go immediately to heaven. Let's go to some of this the teachings of the church that is in our scripture regarding Mary, because the purpose of my reviewing these, even though you have heard them over and over and over, every Christmas practically, and at most other times, but there's always some little things that people sort of... Um, get either a little hung up on or have a question. And I want to bring those points out so that we can talk and discuss them and hopefully resolve it. Right. Is the sound better? Can you hear better by me being in this part of it? The... All right. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The house of David is important because it fulfills a prophecy that God uh, made to David and to his followers and is contained uh, not only in the first book of Samuel, but also in uh, Psalm 89. The virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, the angel said, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, of course, this is probably new to Mary, but not new to God. He had planned this and made this young maiden free of sin from her conception. So God was aware, but Mary wasn't. Okay? Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great. And will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give him the throne of David his father. Again. The prophecy. From God. To David. That is indicated in the first book of Samuel. And Psalm 89. And he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. And of his. The house of Jacob is a metaphor or a reference to Judaism in general. And of his kingdom there will be no end. That is, of the kingdom of Christ there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, Well, how can this be, since I have no relations with a man? And the angel said to her in reply. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy. The Son of God. And behold. Let's stop there for a minute. The child will be called Holy. The Son of God. But you see based just on that. It doesn't tell Mary the whole story of what's going to happen. And Mary has to accept that on faith. Now, Mary was probably a very, well, not probably, but was a very holy woman, young woman, and probably prayed a great deal for an understanding and for the fact That she wanted to give herself to God in a special way. And be used by God. And this is how it is turning out. Then the angel continues. And behold, Elizabeth your relative. Has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her. Who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible for God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And so the angel departed from her. Uh, that's just a few words, but you can imagine there was probably more to it than that. And Mary must have sat back and said, Wow. Or, or some words in, uh, you know. Hebrew or Aramaic, of course, uh, the equivalent. Uh, And really, how would anyone feel in that respect, you know? It, It would be so overwhelming. So, you know, there is more to it than what we see right here, but this is the essence and this is all that is really needed as far as Scripture is concerned. But you got to think about what this woman is going through in her mind, all right? And of course, was the conception already in effect at that point—the moment she says "yes"? Um, we have no idea of when, but obviously the "yes" was the the moment. And the fact that. The angel points out that her relative, Elizabeth, is also uh, carrying a child. And this is another great wonder because Elizabeth was quite advanced in age, way beyond childbearing age. And so there must have been a great deal more to it in her mind, in her heart, uh, wondering, well, why? You know, because it doesn't say that Mary knew all about John the Baptist and that little episode, which comes actually before this in Luke's Gospel. So Mary goes off to visit with Elizabeth and to share their mutual experience. During those days, Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah. Judah. Now, that's about a total of roughly 80 miles, give or take a little, from Nazareth to Judah or Jerusalem. Okay, that's what we're really uh, talking about is Jerusalem, town of or in Judah. Okay, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, The infant leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Most blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. This is the words that we say in the Hail Mary every day. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment, the sound of your greeting reached my ears. The infant in my womb leaped for joy. Because you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. Now you almost wonder, well, how did Elizabeth know that? You know, so there's more to it than actually we read in here. But that's all right, I think. This is sufficient to keep us informed. Right? And then Mary said, and this is a kind of the, the beautiful poem that we call the Magnificat. It is made up of various uh, passages of scripture. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. See, she is giving credit to God. She is not in any way assuming or taking credit for herself. For he has looked upon his handmaid's lowliness. Upon how and on will all ages... (coughs) I'm sorry. Behold, from now on, All ages uh, will call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. His mercy is from age to age to those who fear Him. He has shown might with His arm and dispersed the arrogant of mind and heart. He has thrown down the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the lowly the hungry he has filled with good things the rich he has sent away empty he has helped israel he has helped israel his servant remembering his mercy according to his promise to our fathers to abraham and his descendants forever now a lot of this really doesn't pertain to mary but it's talking about the greatness of god In all the things that he has done, and now he has chosen uh, a maiden from a little town in northern Israel. And great things are going to come from that. Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. I think we can get a great deal out of just this—the fact that Mary, uh, a little girl in a small town, is now being asked to carry the Son of God and bear him, uh, you know, as a child as any other one. Can you imagine the, the thoughts that must have gone through her head? The other thing, too, is that she had to be willing to accept uh, all of the notoriety and the problems coming from a young woman who is now pregnant without actually being married in the full sense of the word of the culture at that time. That must have been uh, a problem for her also. Yet she is willing to do that. She is willing to accept the embarrassment that came from that and to go through with it. Any problem? Any questions? Yes. Yes. know about the Holy Spirit is true. would they have known about that at that time a good question yeah. the question is would the people at this time really have understood the idea of the Holy Spirit and the answer is no but they called God Holy Spirit but not in the sense that we think of it alright so quite often in the old testament you'll see the phrase Holy Spirit, but holy is not capitalized. Okay? And what they do is they they're meaning the whole spirit of God the Father. Yeah. So, is it? The other thing is, would um, as Mary was growing up and other girls, uh Jewish girls, would they have thought that was a possibility that they might bear the uh the Messiah? Well, we don't know for sure, but uh, there is some tradition that yes, because <clears throat> there was a prophecy that the Messiah would come at some point in time, uh, there was this feeling among young maidens uh, that they would be involved. Yeah, but uh, all the details, no, we're not thought out. Does someone else have a question? Yes, uh, Madge. Yes. How did she plan for this? I mean, nowadays we have nine months. Well, she had to be told how long or whatever when Jesus would be here. Well, I think I think nine months was the same then as it is now. But how did she plan? Well, she because they like weren't that. rich people. No, no, uh, we don't really know, you know, uh, there was so much more to it. But, you know, the idea that she went to uh, visit Elizabeth, yeah. who was a much older lady, and uh, apparently Elizabeth explained to her a lot of the facts of life, pardon the expression. It's a pretty subject. You betcha it is. Uh, yeah. but as far as uh, knowing and so forth and the, the nine months period because as we know uh, at that same time uh, Caesar Augustus called for a sentence a sentence census pardon me and they had to travel uh, from Nazareth down to Bethlehem okay let's let's go on <clears throat> In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. So all went to... Be, well, why would they put those kind of things in there? It was to define the time or as close to the year. Remember, they didn't have... Uh, calendars, and calendars weren't used uh, like they are today. Julius Caesar did issue a calendar about the year 63 uh, BC, uh, but it was not universally accepted or used. All right. So, in writing scripture, they will usually talk about who was in charge or who was ruling at the time, because it gives a, a time reference this was the first enrollment when Quirinius was the governor of Syria so all went to be enrolled each to his own town and Joseph went from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David that is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the family of David that follows in what was said earlier Uh, by the angel that he would be uh, from the house of David to be enrolled with Mary his betrothed who was with child and while they were there the time came for her to have her son and she gave birth to her firstborn son she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger anyone know what swaddling clothes are? Pardon expression, but rags. Yes. They were, you know, cast off garments and other things uh, because, you know, how fast children grow or babies grow. Uh, they weren't used very long, but they were rags. Okay. And laid him in a manger. Now, remember... Christ was not born in a manger. A lot of people use that at Christmas time. You'll see that over and over. Christ was not born in a manger. A manger is a trough. You know, and poor Mary wasn't going to straddle a uh, you know, in order to have the baby. He, he was born in a, a cave or a stable. Not a manger. He was laid in a manger, you know, in lieu of a crib. Every time I see that at Christmas time, Christ was born in a manger, I can go say, oh, poor Mary, you know. Okay, okay. Now, there were shepherds in that region living in the fields, and keeping the night watch over their flock. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were struck with great fear. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for the people. For today in the city of David a Savior has been born, for you who is Messiah and Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, One point that many people are not aware of is the shepherds were not Jewish. That was a demeaning occupation for the Jewish people. So the shepherds were Gentiles. Okay. They were not Jewish. Yes, Julie? Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, remember, the betrothal period in this culture was for one year. So, where, you know, that's a little bit questionable as to whether this was, but you see, from the period of nine months, um, so, And they were already betrothed before that. So it probably was that, you know, most people think, yes, uh, it's been a year. Yeah. That's all right. Let's go on to uh, verse 21. When eight days were completed. This is eight days after this birth. By culture this was the custom. For his circumcision he was named Jesus. The name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Very important. Then 40 days after the birth. Again a custom of the culture. When the days were completed. For their purification. According to the law of Moses. This is the babe and its mother. They took him to Jerusalem. To present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord. And that comes from. uh, uh, The book of Exodus chapter 13. Every male that opens the womb. In other words the firstborn shall be consecrated to the Lord. That is, every firstborn male will be consecrated to the Lord and to offer the sacrifices, uh, the parents will offer the sacrifices uh, of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons in accordance with the dictate in the law of the Lord. Now, underline those words, if you will. Every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord. Because when we go on, you're going to see where that is necessary to hook those two together. So Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, awaiting the cons- consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. See, the word holy, again, is in small letters because they did not understand at that point in time about the Trinity as we think of it today. And they felt just the Holy Spirit was the only one God that they were aware of, all right? It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Messiah of the Lord. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, now this is at the time back at the time of the presentation which we celebrated yesterday. When the parents brought uh, him, the, the child, to perform the custom of the law in regard to him, he took into his arms and blessed God, saying, Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in sight of all the people, a light For revelation to the Gentiles. I would say a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And Glory for your people, Israel. Uh, That must have you know just added to Mary's uh questioning and wondering what is this all going to be and how's this all going to work out? the child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother behold this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be contradicted and you yourself a sword will pierce so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed important point Mary here is in the future going to be used by God in very special ways there was also a prophetess Anna the daughter of Nathaniel of the tribe of Asher she was advanced in years having lived seven years with her husband after her marriage and then a widow until she was 84. she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day with fasting and prayer. And coming forward at that very time, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were waiting the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, we have the episode in uh, Matthew's gospel about the flight into Egypt and so forth. Uh, which is not in Luke. Uh, uh, and you all know that story that the Magi wanted to go and uh, worship, and so they stopped at Herod, which was the polite thing to do. He's, the Magi were from some eastern country, we're not sure where. Uh, but people of that position uh, and stature would always uh, pay courtesy a courtesy visit to the ruling person of the area. And so they stopped by to uh, claim or ask directions as well uh, from Herod. And of course this upset Herod quite a bit because, uh, even though Herod was, Herod was not a, a full Jew. You know, his mother was, uh, Jew and his father was an Indomian from, uh, a foreign country close by. Uh, but he was put in charge by the Romans and he was not of the people, you might say. And so he was concerned about his own, own position when he heard about a ruler or a king of Israel. And coming from people who were uh, supposedly uh, very learned in uh, this respect. So he sends uh, them out and says, we'll come back and let him know what they have thought. Well, he's the angel again intercedes and tells the magi not to go back to Herod. And so Herod slaughters all the male children up till about the age of two uh, because he figures by doing so he will at least get this uh, one put out of the way. Well, the angel again intercedes and uh, warns Joseph to take Mary and the babe to Egypt to escape. Okay. It says uh, here then. When they had prescribed all the prescriptions of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, and this of course is after the return from uh, Egypt. Now we don't know how long they were in Egypt. Uh, there's a little bit of confusion as far as the time and some of the uh, events here relative to uh, Herod and so forth. We know that Herod the Great died around the year 7 BC. And Christ, of course according to this, is already alive uh, at that time. So there is a little bit of confusion as to timing and the calendar and so forth and so on, but I don't think that is that important. Okay. Let's go on. We don't know anything about Jesus or Mary or Joseph from the time they returned from Egypt settled in Nazareth until The child is around 12 or 13 years old when uh, part of the custom was that they would go to uh, Jerusalem for the Passover at that age and then uh, he would have a bar mitzvah ceremony uh, although they didn't call it at that time bar mitzvah and of course no big party afterwards. Uh, Says... (laughs) No, not that's not the only reason. Uh, the culture, the rules at the time, were that all Jewish people had to make a trip to the temple three different times during the year. Uh, Passover was one of them, and I forget offhand the other two. All right. But it was important that they had to go, and this was one of the times. Okay. They did this, well, every year, if they could. There was, it wasn't a, you know, a major problem if they didn't, but they were supposed to. Okay. Each year, his parents went to Jerusalem, see, uh, for the Feast of Passover. And when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up according to the festival costume. After they had completed its days... As they were returning, the boy Jesus remained behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Now, everybody thinks, well, that's pretty strange. It sounds like the movie Left Behind, you know. Well, people did not travel alone in those days. So, Nazareth being a small community, you had a whole group of the Townspeople traveling together to go to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And so Mary and Joseph, knowing that their son was among friends and neighbors and perhaps relatives, uh, didn't, you know, it wasn't a big deal. So on the way back, after a day or so, looking for their child, couldn't find him, And questioning everybody else, they didn't know where he was. So Mary and Joseph goes back to Jerusalem. Thinking that he was in the caravan, they journeyed for a day and looked for him among their relatives and acquaintances, but did not find him. They returned to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him, Jesus, were astounded at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? I think if I were the mother or the father, I would have said more than that. (laughs) Your father and I have been looking for you with great anxiety. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus advanced in wisdom and age uh, and favor before God and man. All right, now let's go back up to this. Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? Don't take that too seriously. Because as we said over on verse 23, every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord. And every male at that particular time could have said the same thing that Jesus said there. Okay. Did you not know that I had uh, that I must be in my father's house? Alright? The consecration ceremony of the firstborn male would have given him the right to say that, whether he was Jesus or any other little Hebrew boy. Okay. So please don't read more into that sentence that is there. Now, let's take a look at it again in another way. Jesus obviously had a very unique birth with all the things that we just read here. Do you suppose that Mary kept this to herself and never shared it with him as he grew up and was able to understand? No. Obviously, as, you know, as time went on, She would talk about the unique um, events of his birth and all of the things that she was probably still pondering in her mind and wanted him to spend time studying as best he can in the synagogue in Nazareth to find out why and what were these special events and things that happened Uh, To him, to them, at the time of his birth, how they tied into the prophecies of the Old Testament writings. Yes. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. The question is, do you think that Mary let Joseph, uh, let Jesus know that Joseph wasn't his father? Uh, I don't know. You know, um, even our time today, the question of adoption was kept secret for years. It was only in the last 20 or 30 years that psychologists and so forth um, would uh, recommend that parents tell their children, that they were adopted as little children uh, so they would grow up with the idea and it wouldn't be uh, a big shock at some later time. I have an adopted granddaughter and my son and his wife have told her little by little as she was growing up she's now uh, 16 uh, that she was adopted. And they would go back. She was actually adopted from uh, Russia. And the Russian embassy in Washington for years had a little Christmas party for the parents of uh, Russian children. And they would go to this for many years so that as she grew up, it wouldn't be a big shock at some point in time. But that was not the case you know, back 50 years or so ago, or all the way back in the past. Adoption was something that was kept secret. Yeah. So, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know. All right? But, the thing is, Mary must have encouraged Jesus to study the scriptures to better understand the unique circumstances of his birth. And how they fit into the scriptures because Mary, not being a real educated person, probably could not give him the answers. So that when he was in the temple at this age of 12 or 13, uh, that's why he was so familiar with the scriptures and was able to converse with the temple Rulers and the teachers at that time. Now that's an important question. Did he know. As a child that he was God. Most scholars say no. And why? If you go to. Uh. St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2. It talks about Jesus setting aside his divinity while he was a young person. So that he would grow up as any other human being. Experiencing all of the ups and downs that children have to go through. Uh, to be normal adults. Okay? And it wasn't until his baptism by John the Baptist that the knowledge and the acceptance of himself, but in the meantime, from the age of 12 and beyond, you can imagine that he must have realized that there was some very unique uh, relationship between him and God the Father. That has to be accepted. Okay. Um, but not necessarily full knowledge of the fact that he was God. And that was done on purpose voluntarily where he gave up the whole idea of being God at the age of twelve. Can you imagine? Uh, I remember as a child in elementary school, there was, because uh, I went to Catholic schools, you know, and the nuns and so forth and so on. and there was a, a very nice picture uh, in the hallway. I can see it to this day uh, of little boys sitting around. Making clay pigeons or some darn, I think it was clay pigeons. And of course you knew Jesus because there was this big ring around his head, <laughs> uh, the halo, uh, and his pigeon, uh, came to life and flew away. See? And I thought, uh, uh, no, no, no. I don't, I don't go for that. Okay. Uh, so we feel that he deliberately wanting to set aside his divinity uh, so that he could experience everything. Remember, he came to Earth to be one of us, to to, to, uh, experience all the ups and downs that human beings have to experience to grow up. Because he wanted to be one of us. And then because of his divinity which came back to him at his baptism and was necessary in order to say and do the things that he did in his public ministry, Uh, but he was still human. And he took upon his own body, soul, and his mind and heart the sins of all mankind, before, during, and after. And he took them to the cross because that was, because he was both divine and human. That sacrifice was the only kind of sacrifice that was acceptable to forgive the sins of all mankind and open the doors of heaven. Remember, the gates or the doors of heaven were closed from the time of Adam and Eve's sin or the first man in woman woman's sin until the death of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody was condemned in that period of time. No. But they had to wait. Those people who died in the good graces of God, and there were zillions of them, of course, uh, they had to wait until the death of Christ, until that breach was resolved, and the gates of heaven were then open. Okay. Does that make sense? Dick? There are, there are three scriptures that we talked I don't know their order. So one is the very piece of Cana where Jesus says, My time has not come. So at that point, you would think he knew he was God. Yes. There was the passage where he's at the temple or the uh, synagogue in Nazareth. And he says, uh, in my reading today, this passage is fulfilled. Yes. And there was the third is uh, the baptism. What order did they come in? The baptism was first. Okay. Always first. Remember, (laughs) it, it talks really about the fact that he spent time... Uh, immediately after his baptism in the desert for forty days, or approximately, uh, it was in preparation, not because he was trying to get rid of sin. It was in preparation for his ministry. So then, but his, at well, the Feast of Cana, his ministry had not started. No, it did, because his. Uh, it says in the Feast of Cana that his disciples were already with him. Yeah. Okay. Well, not only is death, but the whole idea of that kind of ministry. Yeah. But, yes, leading up to death. Right. Yeah. In fact, we will see that in the video that we're going to be showing this morning. Okay. All right. We better get going with that video or we won't get out of here on time. All right. Any other questions on this? You see, the whole idea of Mary through all of this was that she never uh, tried to get uh, attention focused on her. Mary was always, as she says, magnifying or reflecting, really, the word, magnifying really means that she was reflecting all of uh, the goodness that came through her back to God. There's a couple, uh, couple of statements in there that I think you should be well aware of and think about. The importance of the words that Mary used. To the servants. But we. If we are true. Disciples of Christ. We are also servants. Do whatever he tells you. Okay. Now. If we go one step further. When Jesus is baptized. The heavens open. And the father. Declares. This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And if you put those words together with Mary's words, listen to him and do whatever he tells you. Can you ask for a better command or a clearer command? That's what scripture is really all about, is hooking those two together uh, and following through. Any questions? Again, that kind of supports what we've said earlier. You know, if you think about Jesus separating or setting aside his divinity from the time he was born up until the time of baptism, and then when the father comes at the time of baptism and says, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. It's like a confirmation ceremony as well. And that is why in the church today, when we uh, accept new converts into Catholicism uh, on the Easter Vigil service, we baptize them and confirm them at the same time. All right? Because Christ was baptized and confirmed by the Father, you might say, at the same time. Okay. So that kind of supports the idea that he set aside his divinity. But as he was growing up, Mary obviously encouraged him to study scripture to understand what the unique circumstances of his birth really meant in terms of uh, salvation history. Any other questions? Let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Mary, our mother, we ask your blessing on our efforts. Pray for us and help us uh, to really understand your particular role. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.